Rick Jensen on 1150 AM, 101.7 FM, WDEL. As we discussed over the last few weeks, there are a number of economists that are predicting recession. And you know that the Fed's going to be raising interest rates as well. And you go to the grocery store and you see the effects of broken supply chains and inflation. But what about the rest of the year? So Patrick Harker is president and CEO of the Philly Federal Reserve. And before I bring him on the phone, let me just say this. Um, The U.S. Federal Reserve's mandate, as it stands today, was really shaped in the 1970s. High inflation, unemployment was called stagflation. So the Federal Reserve Act of 1977 clarified the roles of the Board of Governors and the Federal Open Market Committee. And basically, the Fed's goals now are maximum employment, stable prices, moderate long-term interest rates. And they became known as the Fed's dual mandate. I want to get to uh, Mr. Harker here because I'm, I'm seeing a couple of different things from uh, different branches of the uh, the Federal Reserve around the country. There are 12 of them, and the Philly is one of the most important, uh, mainly because you guys are near us. <laughs> so, Patrick Harker, <laughs> thanks for being on, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks, Rick. Great to be here. Yeah, well, I appreciate this because, you know, uh, as my listeners know, I've been reading a lot from a number of different economists. Uh, for example, the Deutsche Bank is predicting recession, and they laid out how raising interest rates have often been a precursor to inflation, either one to perhaps two or three years later, sometimes sooner. And I realize that the mandate of the Federal Reserve is not to predict recession. However, William Dudley, former president of the Federal Reserve Bank in New York, says a recession is virtually inevitable. Meanwhile, in San Francisco, you have the Fed's Mary Daly saying, oh, no, 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 tighter policy is important, and we don't expect recession. You're on the phone with other uh, presidents and, uh, and CEOs of the Federal Reserve around the country, the other 11 branches. Um, it, what are you hearing from these different branches? So I can just speak for myself and uh, what we believe in okay. terms of our research. And, um, and that's the beauty of the Fed. We have 12 presidents plus the Board of Governors in Washington that come together and meet in the Federal Open Market Committee and debate these issues. And people have different perspectives. So if we think about where the economy is, this is not your normal recession. Let's go back to why this was created. It was a pandemic. We put the economy on a medically induced coma, right? We slowed it down because we had to to save lives. So we went into this with a very strong economy. If you remember back pre-pandemic, and it's hard for people to remember, but we had a strong economy then, low unemployment, and now we've got to come out of this pandemic, and we are uh, hopefully coming out of this pandemic, into what people are calling a new economy. But it also, we're starting from a real position of strength, unlike many other recessions. I mean, we still have low unemployment. We have rising wages, although in many cases they're not keeping up with inflation. And we've got strong gross domestic products, strong growth. The problem is inflation right now. And so in terms of a recession, I don't see – is a recession possible? It's always possible, right? There's always some probability it'll happen. I don't see it being probable right now, given the position of strength we're starting from. 
Will we slow the economy down? Sure. That's part of what we're trying to do with raising rates is just bring down some demand a little bit so that things like the housing market and others cool a little bit. But we want to, we want to do that in a way that it doesn't put us in recession, that we continue to have a strong economy. So uh, there's also debate about this inverted yield curve, which means sure. basically if if the short-term interest rate from, uh, in, in you know, whatever the Treasury bills are, if the, if the short-term rate exceeds the long-term, now you have economists saying, up, oh, that's a sign that we, be, we could be heading into a recession. Uh, Federal Reserve Bank of New York said we're not predicting recession, but they laid out uh, the fact that that can happen. However, to what you were saying, I was also reading what the Fed was uh, in Boston was saying, <laughs> and 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 again, you know, they're examining this predictive power of the yield curve as well. Right. And what they said is, well, accounting for the current state of monetary policy, uh, it the yield curve might actually overstate the probability of a recession. So where does the yep. Philly Fed uh, stand on this? Yeah, I'm more with the – I mean, it's hard for me to align with Boston. Hey, right now I do. I mean, I think, uh, you know <laughs> – I know. You know Red, Red Sox fan. versus I'm the Phillies. Leave <laughs> baseball out of it there, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> So, but but New York, the sort of New York Fed is is saying, uh, you know, this yield curve, this inversion yield curve, is really important when it comes to being uh, predictive historically. And Boston is saying, well, maybe, but it depends upon our current uh, yeah. monetary policy. So, um, where's right. where? So, where do you stand on that? Yeah, I always worry about thinking any one measure, one number, one metric is going to give you the answer. It doesn't, right? And so, it really is context dependent. Uh, and so yield curve is a potential predictor, but one of many. And we see the other signs. I see the other signs right now is not pointing to recession. You can't just look at one thing and think that will be the, you know, that's the magic key uh -huh. that will tell you whether we're in recession or not. All right. So uh, and one more point on this Deutsche Bank. They looked at 70 years of data. And um, their conclusion is that not every Fed hiking cycle leads to recession, but all of the hiking cycles that invert the curve, and that's apparently where we are, uh, have led to recessions within one to three years. So you know, there's obviously, you know, different parts of uh, right. economic activity to look at this as well. Um, can you state with confidence that with the number of, of interest rate increases that the Fed is engaged in that uh, we're likely not going to head into a recession in one to three years? Or we'll just leave it at that. What do you think? No, so, I, so my goal is not to head into recession. So my goal is to have a methodical, careful rise of interest rates. But we need to raise interest rates to get inflation under control. Back to what we call the neutral rate. That is where the economy is now sort of just humming along. It's not growing, you know, it's not expanding, it's not contracting. That that rate, you know, it depends on people have different views on what that is. For me, it's two and a half percent. We want to climb up to that, but we don't need to exceed it very much. And so, because there's two things going on in the monetary policy world, there's raising interest rates, but we're also shrinking our balance sheet, which we grew during the pandemic uh -huh. to help save the economy. And that also removes what we call financial accommodation. That also tightens the market some. So we don't want to overdo it. I don't want to overdo it.
Patrick Harker, president and uh, CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank in Philly. I want to thank you for being wide open about this. I've recently talked with uh, Republicans and a couple of Democrats, too, about your uh, tenure at the University of Delaware, and they said, you know what, he, he was always a straight shooter. And you said something here that brings that to mind, Patrick, and that is this. You didn't say, oh, the pandemic did this, oh, the pandemic did that, blah, blah. No, no, you were actually honest and accurate when you said, we put the economy on a medically induced coma during the pandemic. And I've said this many All times. The, yeah. whole, the whole society. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, there was a lot of battles over that. Uh, you know, there were Republican governors, for example, as well as the president at the time, uh, Trump, saying let's open the factories, open the warehouse, things like that. And then you had these large debates and, you know, and who won? Well, we see who won, uh, those who shut that down. And we're very concerned about what's going to happen. So with that in mind, we look at these supply chain problems and – we look at some specific uh, instances wherein, for example, Foxconn, largest chip manufacturer in Taiwan, Asia manufactures something like, you know, 80 percent, 85 percent of all the chips in the world. They couldn't go to Wisconsin because the suppliers they need aren't close enough to Wisconsin. Right. So that failed. As your economists, and I know there's hundreds and hundreds of economists that work for the Fed, take a look at, you know, they drill down at, uh, at some of this data. Is there any consensus as to when supply chains might actually be what we consider to be normalized, like, say, 2018? Yeah, so normal is a funny word. Right? That's why yeah. I said 2018, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but we're going to go through a continued evolution of supply chains. I'll come back to that. In the short run, we're continuing to see the pandemic uh, wreak havoc. I mean, we're looking at China right now, shutting down big chunks of their economies, uh, Shanghai, Shenzhen, and that's affecting supply chains. And and also, we're seeing this incredible, horrific tragedy uh, in Ukraine that is having an impact on energy markets, it's having an impact on commodity markets like wheat, uh, and also fertilizer. So it's going to impact ag uh, for a period of time. And unfortunately, I don't see any quick resolution to that. And so it's going to have a, an impact for a substantial period of time. In the longer run, we are seeing, and we saw this before the pandemic hit, with some changes in policy with respect to tariffs and so forth, people re-engineering their supply chains to create more resilient supply chains. And one of our problems we have as a global economy is a very fragile supply network. Think of before the pandemic. One ship in one canal, the Suez Canal, caused significant disruption to the global economy. Mm-hmm. One ship, one canal. That's pretty fragile. So I think what we're seeing now is companies realizing that maybe they put too many eggs in one basket in terms of a geographic location, and and now they're going to start to diversify. That takes some time. I mean, take, you talk about Foxconn and, and wafer fabrication. Well, these plants cost $20, $30 billion to build. It's not going to happen overnight. But people are starting to make those investments to diversify their supply chains, for sure. If you just tuned in, Patrick Harker, he's president and the CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank in Philadelphia. You talked about unemployment. Uh, It's a nice number to look at. It feels good, 3.6%. However, I'd I'd like you to address uh, the following uh, data and and what it means uh, to us when it comes to supply chains, manufacturing, uh, inflation, and such like that. We had the great resignation of 2021, and right now we're at this incredible level of 37% 
of working age Americans not participating. It's the non-participation yep. rate from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I look at the U6 numbers when we talk about uh, unemployment, and uh, I talked to a economist the other day about the non-participation number. When you have 37% of people in America who are of working age say, you know, I'm just not going to go, that seems extraordinary. How do you feel about that at the Philly Fed? Oh, no, it's a real problem. And again, it was a problem we saw before the pandemic, and of course, the pandemic made it worse. So take Delaware. We're 14,000 jobs below where we were before the pandemic struck. Some of that, I mean, there are a lot of reasons uh, that people have posited for why that's the case. But one for sure is if you look at the numbers, who's dropped out the most? It's women, particularly women with children. So before the pandemic, their labor force participation was 59.3%. It dropped to 56.3 during the pandemic and has bounced back to 58.2, but still you know, a significant number of women dropped out of the labor force. Why? Well, they take on the burden of taking care of families and children very often. And so childcare is a huge issue. I and mean, this is work we're doing with the Rodell Foundation, the State Department of Education, and the Delaware Chamber of Commerce, uh, and we at the Fed are also doing this work, and we're putting out a report here soon on the child care issue. It, it, for an average Delawarean, 20% of their income to put a child into child care. That's unsustainable. And so we need to come up with creative solutions to help solve this problem, to get more people off the sidelines into the workforce. We also do work on what we call opportunity occupations, that we've launched a whole series of initiatives around getting people without a college degree the skills they need to be, get what we call opportunity occupations, jobs that pay above median wages, where you don't need that college degree. You may need more training mm -hmm. beyond high school, but this work is front and center to what we're trying to do at the Philly Fed and really across the Federal Reserve System because we don't get those people back in the workforce. They suffer, their families suffer, their communities suffer, and we as an economy suffer. How many times and at what rate uh, do you expect the Fed to uh, to raise rates? So, yeah, I, this year. I could see us getting, yeah, so I think uh, our, my view, and I can only speak for myself, is that every meeting we have, I'm looking at a 25 basis point increase. In some cases, we might consider a 50 basis point increase at some meeting. I haven't taken that off the table, but right now my forecast is that we'll keep raising, get up to around 2% by the end of the year, maybe a little more than that. Uh, but that would get us to where I think we need to be in terms of starting to cool the economy down a little bit to bring inflation down. But we also have to recognize it's really important that we can do what we can, what we can do to try to cool demand a little bit to, to help the economy. But what we can't do is solve what we were just talking about, the supply chain issues. And right. they, don't, they don't react to Federal Reserve policy, right? They are outside the purview of monetary policy. But they also have to be healed and healed quickly. But unfortunately, things like Ukraine are just causing more tragedy and, and pain for, obviously, the Ukrainians, the tragedy there, but pain for the rest of the world. Well, Patrick, speak to this conundrum then, please. Uh, by the way, it's Patrick Harker, the Philly Fed on, you know, we have nearly 8% inflation right now. Wage increases at 4.7%. That's not keeping up right now. You're looking at, at 25 basis points, maybe even half a percent increase. Somebody needs a new car. They're looking at buying a house. You have uh, Gen Zs and millennials. They're loaded up with college debt and all, and here go the interest rates. 
What What are your thoughts about how people are able to uh, to overcome all that? Oh, and by the way, you talked about child care. You have child care if you have loans, you have debts, you have to raise your prices, raise your costs. Then uh, you have what might be a wage spiral happening, where in basically lay terms, as I understand it, wages go up, so prices go up, and uh, when the when the Fed increases the interest rates like that. Why wouldn't that contribute to a wage spiral and all these other problems that people are going to have, especially if they're looking to buy a house or a car? So as you start to bring, but on the flip side, when you start to raise uh, the Fed funds rate and interest rates, it cools off inflation. So there's less less need to get those wage increases. And we're starting to see wages level off in certain areas a little bit right now. They went up tremendously, as you said. And they haven't kept up with inflation. So we need to, there's two things we need to do. We need to get inflation down so that it, you don't need such a large increase in wages to just make it, right, to break even. Uh-huh. And then also we need – so what's the solution to uh, a wage price spiral? Productivity, getting more output per worker. And that often relates to technology investments, and we saw that during the pandemic. Companies who couldn't get workers, what are they doing? They're pivoting to technology. Uh-huh. I mean, there's one fast, there's one fast food company uh, who's piloting different places in the country, fully automated, fully robotic fast food delivery. Yeah, for those of you who might might be older and ever in New York, it's Horn and Hardart all over the place uh, throughout the country. That used to be a place. That, that's a place where you put in like fifty cents and get a sandwich uh, into a machine. So, but here's the conundrum. And I know you have to go, and I really appreciate your the generosity of your time, Patrick. Um, so, and I'm listening to this. I'm thinking, man, this this is it's such a battle now because if you're looking to buy a house, but the interest rates are going up, you got to buy a car. Interest rates are going up. Wages are are going to are going to flatten here, and just and that level, how difficult it's going to be uh, for people to be able to move forward with some of these plans. Uh, give us a time a timeline that that you know you estimate when things ought to just be able to shake out. So. Our best estimate right now, and again, this is subject to a lot of uncertainty because you don't know sure it is. what's going to happen, right? The pandemic or the expansion of the war, God forbid, and so forth. But we're looking at inflation coming in a little north of 4% this coming this year, and then heading down to 3 and then down to 2 over the next couple of years. So we, we do anticipate that we'll start to get inflation under control. It'll start to come down. Uh, and we're seeing GDP take, you know, continue to... Um, to do pretty well. I mean, it's not going to be as high as it is now in terms of growth, but it'll start to settle back down over the next couple of years to what we call trend growth, around 2%. But it, we do see inflation starting to come down. Now, for something like buying a car, I mean, that, that's a perfect example of the, the challenge we face. Interest rates would make the car more expensive, but if we can solve these supply chain problems, particularly the semiconductor problem, the chip problem, the cars will be cheaper because there'll be more cars. And so, Two things are going to be, and you multiply that across the economy. We need to do both. We need to fix the supply side and cool a little bit the demand side. I really appreciate the time you take uh, when we speak, and uh, and I'd like to uh, to talk with you again, maybe in a few weeks or so, regarding some more specifics about supply chains and chip manufacturers and things like that. But for now, thank you very much. I really actually I really enjoy these conversations. I really I really do. Thank you, sir. It's Patrick Harker, right. President and uh, CEO of the. Federal Reserve in Philly. Thanks again for your time, sir. Take care.